Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we are acquiring, unwrapping, giving, and using our gifts differently. You might hear the word gift and become anxious when you think of a thing given willingly to someone without payment, a present. Let's face it, some of us are not good gift givers. Or you might be thinking of this word with gratitude, possessing a natural ability or talent. You could be thinking of this word with action, like the verb to give something as a gift, especially formally or as a donation or bequest. Passing something to someone else. No matter what feeling it elicits or the vision you conjure, let's take some time to dig a little deeper into gifts. Those we possess, those we give, and those we use. When I think about gifts that I've been given in my lifetime, I'm drawn to the moments, experiences, or art. I come from a family of artists, and so each piece I possess is so much more than a gift I received at a certain event celebrating a time in my life. It's an actual piece of them that they chose to give to me, and now that piece lives here. We're all sharing this space together. I think about the time someone invested in me, teaching me, listening to me, and coaching me. Those gifts produce fruit in my life and help me give to someone else. So instead of a present I might have for a period of time, they give me a gift that I can re-gift as I pass it on. I was curious about the difference between a gift and a present, and I found this at mentalfloss.com. The words come to us from different language families. Gift comes from the old Germanic root for to give. It referred to an act of giving and then to the thing being given. In Old English, it meant the dowry given to a bride's parents. Present comes from the French word for present. A present is the thing being presented or bestowed. Both words were in use for the idea of something undergoing a transfer of possession without expectation of payment from the 13th century onward. The words gift and present are well-matched synonyms that mean essentially the same thing, but even well-matched synonyms have their own connotations and distinctive patterns of use. Gift applies to a wider range of situations. Gifts can be talents. You can have the gift of gab or a musical gift. Gifts can be intangibles. There is the gift of understanding or the gift of a quiet day. We generally don't use present to describe things like that. Presents are more concrete or a bit more, well, present. So let's open our minds and step back from our understanding to make room for a new perspective. Over at LumenKind.com, I found seven ways to identify your unique gifts and contribute to the world. The word contribute can take on many meanings, from donating your time for a good cause to simply speaking up when there's an opportunity to share your ideas. The main point here is that you, as a human being, have something unique to share. Maybe it's a grand endeavor or powerful yet subtle way you show up each day in the world. Recognizing and sharing yourself, your passion, your talent, your love, your ideas, 
is a path for lighting up your life and world. So here are seven practices to consider as you discover and share your gift. Number one, take note of activities that give you a sense of ease. Often the gifts we possess are hiding in plain sight. We often undervalue or maybe don't even consider our strengths as talents because they come so naturally. Or, you might not have considered all the ways that your knack for folding clothes with precision has other applications beyond your tidy chest of drawers. The same might be true for your approach to comforting a friend in need or cooking a family meal. Notice those activities or experiences when your energy and focus dial in and your mind and body flow. In many cases, you may lose track of time. Simply becoming aware of these activities or moments is an excellent starting practice for tapping into your inner gifts and opportunities to share. If you already have a good sense of what this might be, wonderful! then your practice may be brainstorming other ways this strength could be of further benefit, potentially beyond where you imagined. If you're coming up dry, be patient and see what emerges or explore new activities you've yet to try. The trick here is to not be stuck on how the activity might benefit others. Instead, it's about discovering what type of activities or ways of being come naturally to you. And to be clear, It may be as simple as being kind to customer support representatives or as complex as coding a new software application. In short, if you're captivated by something, take a pause to consider what natural talents may be at play. Number two, get an outside view of you, even as a child. Getting perspective from different types of individuals who know you well and gathering insight from various periods in your life may also be a worthwhile pursuit. As you begin getting external input, remember that it's just input. Listen for what resonates and feels true to you. If something doesn't feel right, then let it be. And when you're reminded about a strength or passion you recognize during your personal inquiry, take special note. It might be particularly supportive to learn or rediscover your childhood passions depending on your environment growing up. Number three, seek the talent in others that inspire you. We're often attracted to qualities that we possess, even if, and sometimes because, they're aspects of our personality that are not being expressed. So another great way to identify your own gifts and talents is to notice when someone else's actions or contributions inspire you. In fact, Of all the practices noted, this one may be the most helpful in connecting the dots between your talents and applying them in a way that makes you feel most fulfilling. In addition to helping you become more aware of a particular strength, you may also have the opportunity to connect with someone who can offer applicable guidance. Number four, write down your thoughts daily. Jotting down or organizing your thoughts and experiences into a daily journal helps you keep track of your learnings. A journaling practice focused on raising awareness about your strengths, talents, passions will support your discovery. But more importantly, this provides a log of insights over time that you can revisit to learn more from yourself. 
Choose any journaling approach that feels comfortable to you and know that simply writing down your stream of consciousness is a productive practice for gaining insight into your gifts. Once a week or month, read through your writing and create a summary list of insights or themes related to your strengths and passions. Number five, assess your current state with a personality test. A self-assessment tool is another more traditional way of checking in on how you see or sense yourself. There is no shortage of personality tests available online for free and more in-depth assessments for a fee. Each has its theory, an algorithm, or a particular approach to analyzing you. One of the favorites is Carl Jung's Archetypes. You can take a free assessment at 16personalities.com. Number six, review your insights and identify resonating themes. You've now gathered a lot of information from your personal investigation and insights from friends, family, and even strangers about your unique gifts. Now it's time to synthesize and prioritize. After focusing on discovering your strengths over a few weeks or months, is there one theme that continues to pop up? The practice of reviewing and assessing allows you to reflect on what's most true for you. If one central idea is still fuzzy, start with a short list of what you're now seeing as your strengths or unique gifts. It's okay if these aren't apples to apples. For instance, your short list could include being consistently kind to strangers, keeping the family on budget, setting personal boundaries, and writing poetry. This unique talent or set of emerging gifts is your contribution springboard. With these potentials in mind, you're primed to begin sharing these strengths with others. Number seven, jump into the pool of possibility. And the possibilities are great, but here is where the meaning of contribution really shows its depth. This may mean offering your unique gift to yourself showing up for your family with a commitment to share your light, tapping into your neighborhood community to offer your talent, volunteering with your spiritual or nonprofit organization in a new way, diving into civic duties, creating a work of art, searching for a new role in your work, finding a new career path, starting a business, or simply and powerfully committing to being more you on a moment-to-moment basis as you go about your same family or work life you had before. So that's a long preamble to say that connecting the dots between your talents and how they best contribute may not be a linear path. Imagine it more like a starburst with lots of loops. If the idea of an unstructed path isn't for you, your starburst can be very symmetrical and carefully drawn. The point is that now is the time to move out into your world, connect with people, experiment, and gather feedback while actually sharing or learning more about your contribution. Personal reflection is an ongoing process, and you've completed some heavy lifting to this point. It's time to be in action before you catch a case of self-analysis paralysis. If you know your thing, go shine your light. If you're on the search, be in motion. Ask for informational interviews. Sign up for classes where you might meet others. Attend volunteer opportunities that may give you a taste of the work. 
This practice allows all of your dedicated discovery work to find purpose. Cheers to you for exploring this topic and taking the initiative to learn more about yourself and the ways you can share your gifts. By discovering ways to align with your strengths and contribute more fully in your life, you will find and create more peace in this world. I love people. No, seriously. I'm genuinely interested in people, what they think and how they are. My gift of gab has been used primarily for sales and marketing over the years, but my greatest gift is the gift I received from connecting with others. Encouragementology gives me a platform to connect and encourage, which I hope will be my positive legacy I leave. Typically, I would say I'm a terrible gift giver. I get anxious around the holidays when I think of the pressure to find the perfect gift, the wow gift, something someone will treasure for years to come or at least won't return or re-gift. I'm also a bit uncomfortable when it comes to receiving gifts. I do like them, so don't let that comment deter you. (laughs) But when I think of my love language, acts of service, this makes sense. I love doing things for others crafting, cooking, helping, and these are the ways that I show love. What about you? Are you a gift giver? How about a receiver? What is your love language? Dr. Carol Burris enlights us with do you know the five love languages? Here's what they are and how to use them found at ideas.ted.com. Chances are you have heard of that because the concept first created by counselor and pastor Gary Chapman, unpacked in a series of books and picked up by many others, has spread far and wide. The five love languages refer to the five simple ways that we want love to be shown to us and the ways that we show love to others. So let's get into those. Number one, love language. Words of affirmation. Those of us whose love language is words of affirmation prize verbal connection. They want to hear you say precisely what you appreciate or admire about them. For example, I really loved it when you made dinner last night. Wow, it was so nice of you to organize the neighborhood bonfire. Or just, I love you. Obviously, in person is best. But consider making a phone call, letting someone know how you feel, send a text, write a card, words of affirmation. And for the people you're seeing all the time, remember that even making tiny gestures matter. Dr. Bruce said, this is my primary love language and my husband of 29 years knows it. I'll often wake up and go into the kitchen to find a sweet post-it note next to a glass of ice water on the counter which is another love language, an act of service. Number two, acts of service. Some of us feel most loved when others lend a helping hand or do something kind for us. Dr. Bruce said a friend of mine is currently going through chemotherapy and radiation, putting her at high risk. Knowing that her love language is acts of service, a group of neighborhood friends snuck over under the cover of darkness in December and filled her flower pots in the front of her house with holiday flowers and sprigs. Others had committed to shoveling her driveway all winter. 
In your home, you could be proactive and do something that eases your person's daily grind. Why not take on the chore that everyone avoids doing, whether that's cleaning the oven, changing the litter box, scraping ice off the car, or filling and running the dishwasher. For anyone whose love tank is filled up by people pitching in, seeing someone intentionally scanning the environment to figure out what they can do to make their environment better sends a clear and loving message to them. Number three, gifts. Those of us whose love language is gifts aren't necessarily materialistic. Instead, their tanks are filled when someone presents them with a special thing, tangible or intangible, that helps them feel special. Yes, truly, it's the thought that counts. When you're out grabbing groceries for your family, pick up your roommate's favorite kabucha or seltzer and drop it by their door. Dr. Brewis said our daughter, whose love language is gifts, is a junior in college, and we know she'll adore what's in the box soon to arrive in the mail, a small package covered in Valentine stickers and containing her favorite chocolates, gift cards, coffee, framed picture of the dogs, Fred and George. It's an act of love that will fill her mailbox and her emotional bank account. Number four, quality time. Having another person's undivided, dedicated attention is precious currency for the people whose love language is quality time. Make an intentional effort to schedule time. Have a coffee date. Go for a walk. At the very least, create a Zoom meeting for people that are long distance. Put a good old-fashioned phone call on the calendar each week with your best friend. Or schedule an in-house date night with your partner. Turn off the phones, turn off the TV, no distractions allowed. Nothing says I love you in quality time language better than them being the only thing on your agenda. Number five, physical touch. Expressing the language of physical touch can be as platonic as giving a friend an enthusiastic fist bump when she tells you about landing an interview for a dream job, or as intimate as a kiss with your partner to mark the end of a workday. For some parents with young children, spending too much time in the same small space has created a rub, literally. They'd do anything to have fewer people touching them throughout the day. At the same time, for those living alone, they may be experiencing the painful opposite, a lack of touch. While there are no easy solutions for either case, we can get creative. If you know someone who's overwhelmed by the small hands reaching for them, you might offer to take the kids to the park so they can run off some of their energy. For others, just sitting with them, looking into their eyes, a friendly hand on the shoulder or arm can make all the difference in the world. My husband and I were talking about this the other day, how to use the gifts you've been given. What happens when you get a gift? Well, you usually say, thank you, or at least I hope so. You might even take the time to send a handwritten thank you note, always encouraged. But what about the non-tangible gift, a skill, a characteristic, a value, a moral? The best thank you you could give is to use it. Use it all the way up. Incorporate it into your very fabric until it becomes a part of you. And then the ultimate praise would be to pass it on or leave it as your legacy. 
Richie Norton teaches us how to receive a gift with grace, found at medium.com. Albert Einstein said, A hundred times every day, I remind myself that my inner and outer life are based on the labors of other men, living and dead, and that I must exert myself in order to give in the same measure as I have received, and I'm still receiving. Richie said, one day after a long morning at the beach, I went to start my car only to realize I had run out of gas. I headed down the street toward the nearest gas station and asked the attendant if he had a gas can that I could borrow. Before he could answer, the stranger in line behind me spoke up and said that he had a full gas can in his van that I could use. At that moment, I'd been offered a gift. I needed help and a stranger had come to my rescue. But I wanted to say no. In a split second, a million reasons I didn't want this stranger's help passed through my mind. I told myself I could do it on my own, that I didn't want to inconvenience him, that it would be awkward to receive help from a stranger. However, I reminded myself of the power of receiving and told myself to give it a go. I thanked the stranger over and over while apologizing profusely for the inconvenience. To add to my already heightened feeling of awkwardness, it turned out that he was originally headed in the opposite direction. The stranger, however, was unaffected by this revelation and still cheerfully insisted on driving me back to my car. When I climbed into his van and looked around, two things were immediately evident. The man was a struggling landscaper. He loved to fish. Rusty landscaping equipment, dozens of old fishing poles, and the strong aroma of dead fish filled the back of his van. He told me that he and his co-worker had just finished fishing and were now headed to a job. When I asked about his work, he explained that he had recently lost a lot of income but was optimistic. I'll never be rich, he said with bright eyes, but it gets me by. He took me to my car and I humbly put the stranger's gas into my tank. But my car was parked at a very steep angle, so even that amount of gas from the full gas can wasn't enough. The car still wouldn't start. I felt horrible. I was so embarrassed to be further inconveniencing this nice stranger. Again, he was unaffected. In fact, the stranger was genuinely happy to help. On our way back to the gas station, I noticed that his empty light was on. I was surprised he hadn't run out of gas trying to help me. It suddenly occurred to me, this stranger wasn't at the gas station to fill up his van. He didn't have enough money to do that. He was there to fill up the gas can for his landscaping equipment, the very gas can he had so generously offered to me. As I finished filling the small gas can, I turned to the stranger and offered him a gift. I want to put some gas in your van, I said. He shook his head no. Karma, he smiled. It always comes back to help me. That's how I've gotten by all these years. He continued adamantly. I didn't help you to profit. I understood his feelings, but believing that karmaic law was surely reciprocating his kindness right here and now, I insisted and filled up his van. The stranger's gift to me had been returned to him tenfold, unexpectedly and immediately. There was a lot in that story that you could pull from. Number one, recognize the gift, the giver, and the gifted. 
So who was the giver? Who was the receiver? And what was the gift? The gift from the landscaper was much more than just gas. It was a selfless concern. Richie said, this man had selflessly done for me what I could not have done for myself. And in turn, I was eager to do for him what he could not have done for himself. Our roles had reversed and we both became receivers that day. I drove away from that experience feeling happy, thankful, and inspired. And I know my new friend did too. When we graciously receive from others, everyone wins. Maybe not in such immediate or obvious ways, but our willingness to receive from another blesses both the giver and the receiver. Number two, get open to receive. In football, one of the most important positions is the receiver. In the 1975-76 division playoff game, the Dallas Cowboys were down 14-10 against the Minnesota Vikings. With only 24 seconds left on the clock in the fourth quarter, the Cowboys quarterback, Roger Staubach, threw a desperation long bomb pass from midfield to wide receiver Drew Pearson, who caught it on the five-yard line and ran into the end zone to seal their victory. Staubach said that when he threw the ball to Pearson, I closed my eyes and said a Hail Mary. When the ball came to Pearson, he got open and barely caught the ball by trapping it against his right hip. It was a difficult catch, but Pearson hung on and ran with it and scored. It was this play that coined the term a Hail Mary pass, and it's since become one of the most famous plays in NFL history. On occasion, I'm fascinated by my own propensity towards turning down gifts. When things or opportunities that I need, want, or have been secretly hoping to arrive in my life, I often have to fight the urge to immediately turn them away. Richie said, after much introspection, I realized something about myself. No matter how badly I want or need the gift, I'm often unhappy or uncomfortable with the way it was delivered. I tend to become overrun with pride, embarrassment, or discomfort that keeps me from accepting what I've been offered. Even if the gift is the very thing or assistance I most want or need in my life. Just like the football analogy, it's not easy to get open enough to receive the things, the help, or the advice that we need. There are millions of things that get in our way, and pride is at the root of many of them. If we're serious about success, however, we must overcome our qualms with the method of delivery. We must overcome the discomfort we feel, sometimes by swallowing our pride, and we must graciously receive the opportunities that are offered to us. Paulo Coelho, author of The Alchemist, in order to receive, we must get open. And when you want something, all the universe conspires in helping you to achieve it. Number three, internalize accepting versus receiving, transaction versus transformation. Richie says, I have given my children countless toys that they've never really used or toys that they've used once or twice and then discarded deep in the abyss of their toy closet, never to be seen or heard from again. Then I'll hear, Dad, I'm bored. There's nothing to play with. 
I just shake my head as I think of the closets in each of their rooms filled with the ability to turn any regular old Saturday afternoon into Christmas morning. Did my kids really receive those gifts? Or did they just get them? Did they just accept them? Number four, see gifts as opportunity to give back by receiving gracefully. Oftentimes, even daily, we're offered gifts in the form of opportunity. Do we recognize them as such? And do we really receive them when they show up in our lives? When you're offered a gift, you essentially have three choices, reject, accept, or receive. When you're offered a gift and you reject it, you're slamming the door on your potential for future success. You're essentially saying that you want your pride more than you want your dreams. When you're offered a gift that you accept, but then simply set it on your shelf, that's not receiving. That is getting, and it's selfish and one-sided, and often prideful as well. To truly receive, you must take the gift and run with it. Achieve your goals. Make your project succeed. Seal the victory. Can you imagine how history would have changed for the Cowboys if Pearson hadn't been able to get open? Or if he had gotten open and then dropped the ball? The Cowboys certainly wouldn't have gone on to play in the Super Bowl that year, nor would they have become the first NFC wildcard team in history to do so. Pearson received the pass, held it tight, ran and scored. That's the power of receiving. So when the ball comes your way, don't run away from it. Accepting a gift is a transaction. Receiving a gift means you run with it and score. Number five, receive a gift well, and you'll give the giver a gift in return, immediately. Receiving, genuinely receiving, is one of the most wonderful gifts you can give to the giver. If you're like me and your pride sometimes gets in the way of allowing yourself to receive, if you feel selfish, awkward, or downright uncomfortable, remember, you and the giver are on the same team. In the same way Staubach was cheering for Pearson and eagerly anticipating his success, the giver is the one passing you the ball. Givers want you to receive it, run with it, and score. When you receive a gift, really receive it, it's a sign of gratitude and respect to the giver. In essence, when you receive the gift, you also receive the giver. They receive the blessing of watching you run and score, and they have the wonderful satisfaction of knowing that they contributed in some small or large way to your success. The R in start could have been receive from others, but it's not. It's receive others. When people offer you a gift, you're not just receiving a product, a service, or a leg up. You're receiving the giver, and they in return are receiving you. Make this your motto. Receive and be received. Significant, lasting connections are made when the giver and the receiver graciously, respectfully, and simultaneously receive each other. Receiving is often much harder than giving, but when you allow others to serve you, you'll both become edified together. Number six, be the good receiver. What do people do when they can't get good reception on the radio? They adjust the antenna 
or station until the sound comes in strong and clear. If they can't find good reception, they'll simply change the station. If your humility, authenticity, and sincere connection to your dreams isn't coming in strong and clear by being a good receiver, the gifts that are available to you are going to move on to the next station with a strong receiving signal. Don't let this happen to you. Receive gratefully. Return a warm reception and offer sincere appreciation to the giver. Receive graciously. Show dignity, esteem, and respect for the giver, no matter the gift. Receive gracefully. Be humble by recognizing and remembering that it was by another's hand, not your own, that you received. So I hope that you've been able to see that a gift is more than a present and can come in many different shapes, sizes, and experiences. You are full of gifts that you possess that can positively impact this world. Even if you don't have a dollar to your name, time to stop at the store, or a single creative idea in mind, dig within and share what you have. I want to share the six greatest gifts you can give your loved ones. This comes to us from Leo Babata, found at zenhabits.com. So if we love someone, we should train in being able to listen. By listening with calm and understanding, we can ease the suffering of another person. A quote by Thich Nhat Hanh. What gifts do your loved ones really want? Whether they're your children, your significant other, your parents, your friends, or family members. Isn't it an expensive electronic item? or some other material or tangible item. Perhaps. But the ones on this list are more important. Sure, they may not be as fun to open on Christmas morning or whatever holiday you might be celebrating, but in the long run, they'll value these gifts more. Your presence. This means making it a priority to spend time with them. If they're truly important, you can make the time. You might have to change things in your life to make the time, but it's worth it. Beyond just making the time, though, you have to actually be present when you spend time with your loved ones. This means learning to stay in the moment rather than having other things on your mind or checking your phone every two minutes or trying to take care of other tasks and chores while spending time with them. Instead, drop everything else and focus on being there with your loved ones. Really listen, really have fun, really be present. Your love. This is perhaps an obvious one, but it's too important to gloss over. It's imperative that you tell your loved ones that, well, you love them regularly. But just as important is that you actually show them you love them in your actions every day, throughout the day, hugs, intimacy, smiles, doing kind things for them, considering their needs and feelings. Just little things that mean a lot. Your compassion. How is this different than giving the gift of your love? Well, it's possible to love someone and not show compassion. For example, we parents often discipline our children and love them at the same time. But often, compassion is even more important than discipline. Compassion is finding empathy for your loved one, trying to see things from their eyes, trying to understand what they're going through, and then doing your best to be kind and to end their suffering and make them happier. 
a voice. We can give so much just by paying attention to loved ones and really listening and showing that we're interested in what they have to say and showing that what they say is important and respected. Too often, our children or spouse might talk to us, but are only met with a disinterested nod or other small acknowledgement, and will make light or fun of what they say as if it's not important. But giving a person a voice and showing that their words matter will have a long-lasting difference in their lives. A healthy lifestyle. When you spend time with your loved one, try to do so while enjoying a healthy and fun activity, like going on a hike, playing a sport, tossing the frisbee, going for a walk with the dog, doing some yard work, or so on. When you get together, try to eat healthy foods. Make the habits of good health a part of your lifestyle. Encourage your loved ones to do the same. It could save their lives. Your belief in them. Simply believing in another person and showing that in your words and in your deeds, you can make a huge difference. Studies of people who grew up in dysfunctional homes but who grew up to be happy and successful show that the one thing they had in common was a significant adult who believed in them. Do this for your child and for the adult loved ones in your life as well. Support their dreams and passions and hobbies. Participate with them. Be nothing but encouraging. Be their greatest cheerleader. Whether they actually accomplish their dreams or not, your belief is of unlimited importance to them. The Dalai Lama said, Love and compassion are necessities, not luxuries. Without them, humanity cannot survive. If you want to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they're not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, don't miss the many gifts in all the wrapping. Your gifts are unique to you and are something to be treasured, utilized, and passed on. Keep your hearts open to being the receiver as well. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. I stumbled through until the path was clear.